Hear these words from John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Seems fitting on a day where I'm going to talk about water that it would rain a little bit. But we're going to today look at the symbolism and usage of water in the Bible. Good old H2O. 70% roughly of the earth's surface is covered in water. And you sitting in these pews here today, you are on average about 65% water, give or take. You can go over three weeks without food, but after three or four days without water, you are in serious trouble. And you are likely not to move past a week. To this day, cities are built around water sources like rivers, springs, and ports. I mean, look at our own county. Okay? All these little towns started where? On rivers. And a lot of the movement of people across our country was slowed down by rivers. That's why you have people on the East Coast... Then as they came across the mountains, they came to all these rivers where they stopped or they had trouble getting across. Before there were bridges, how did you get from this side of the river to that side of the river? Could be very difficult. In fact, if you look at our area, I think if there wasn't for rivers, we might just be one big old town. Although I don't know what that would do for football rivalries. Um, but, but really, the rivers really define our own county. I mean, it's where all of these communities sprung up. Water limited travel. In fact, the oceans limited travel a great deal, didn't it? The New World is not discovered by uh, Europeans until Christopher Columbus in 1492 decides to sail the ocean blue. Now, they viewed the world as flat. They assumed that it was just a kind of a disk with water around on each side. This, in fact, is based on ancient uh, cultures' views of the world. When, when the ancients viewed the world, they sort of viewed it as a disk. Uh, and, and there were waters above, like the sky. They would look up and see blue in the sky and see water came down from there in the form of rain. So that must be water up there. And then if you dig in the ground, what you find is sometimes there's water down there too. So they assumed that there was sort of water above us and water below us. And there was, must be some sort of a, a bubble or a, I mean they wouldn't have maybe said bubble, but some sort of thing holding back the waters in the heavens. And there would be waters of, of the deep. In fact, if you read Genesis and the creation story, this is exactly the kind of cosmology that seems to come through. What does God do? He separates the waters the sky from the waters to make, uh, to make this world. This was the view of the, of the cosmos in those days and carried on until much later, until the world began to be round in people's understanding. We take for granted when we take a shower in the morning or get a drink from the faucet that these activities are really a gift. In fact, our own language with metaphors still betray this history 
that where water was so important. How many of you how many of you have used these kind of phrases before? Water under the bridge, streams of information, or we even talk about streamers on the ceiling. We talk about ideas flowing or emotions flooding over us, things getting watered down, hope springing up within us, tears welling up in our eyes, showering someone with presence, pooling our resources and raining cats and dogs. I mean, still our language shows us the importance of water, even though we take for granted how easily we can receive it. Around the world, this is not always the case, and and for much of history has not been the case. Water would have to be collected from rain if if you weren't near a river. It'd have to be kept in pools or cisterns. You'd have to take a daily trip, normally in groups, in the morning before it got too hot, so that you would have water for the day. In fact, this would be called kind of, this would be stagnant water, right? If it's just sitting in a cistern. And so what people really wanted was living water, they would call it. Water that would be clean because it came directly from a river or out of a spring or came in the form of rain before it had time to sit there. Droughts were very damaging. Military would control people based on their water. In fact, still in Africa and different places today where there are not many water sources, um, guerrilla forces would, would take over the water source as a way of controlling the community. Israel only has sporadic rainfall between mid-October and mid-March. And in that time, they would also have plenty of droughts. If you look at Israel, the, the whole geography is based on water. You've got the Mediterranean, from your perspective, the Mediterranean Sea on one side. You've got the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea. Okay, that's the, the whole topography, the whole movement of Jesus in his life, the whole movement of the country of Israel was originally based on those water sources. Today there's a crisis of water in our world. Some 780 million people lack access to clean drinking water. That is more than two and a half times the population of the United States or in the world population, about one in nine people still don't have clean water. And an estimated 3.4 million people die each year from water-related diseases. Some of those are as simple as diarrhea. Um, if you got really sick in your stomach and had that for a long time, your body would eventually dehydrate and you would die. Totally solvable if people would have clean water. With water so integral to our own language today, and to history at large, it should not surprise us that the Bible uses the imagery of water at length. In fact, there are over 600 references to water in the Bible. Think about all the different Bible stories where water becomes an integral and prominent feature. From the creation story to the waters on the ground in Eden. Remember Rebekah's watering the camels for Abraham's servant. The parting of the Red Sea. Elijah pouring water on the altar to show God's power when fire came down. David has to do a lot of work when he wants to move the capital of Israel to Jerusalem because it's not directly near a water source. So there's a whole bunch of things they do to make sure they have water for the city there. Jesus taught fishermen and did most of his teaching on the Sea of Galilee. He talks to a woman at the well. Paul often traveled by boat and was shipwrecked several times. I mean, think about all the water references. 
But today I want to focus on three images that water seems to portray in the Bible. Three symbolic meanings behind water. First, water is often used in the Bible as judgment. Water was thought to be controlled by God. After all, we can't control if it rains or it doesn't rain. That's beyond our control. It must be in God's hands. And so sometimes water is used as an image for God's judgment. Listen to these words from the flood story in Genesis chapter 7. In the 600th year, as I read this, think about that cosmology that I sort of said about waters above, waters below. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. I mean, the reference is that the water swells up from the bottom, and the water comes down from the top, clearly in this cosmology of the water surrounding this world. And the flood is really God's judgment. God's judgment that the way humanity was going was not the way he intended for them to go. And so he's going to push reset and start over with this man named Noah. We remember the story of the Egyptians, don't we? And Moses with the ten plagues. What is that first plague? The turning of water into blood. This would have been a huge crisis. Remember what we just said. Three or four days without water, you start to get into serious trouble. If you're, if you're built your city around the Nile, and the Nile is suddenly blood instead of water, this becomes a huge crisis for those people. And so God starts out His exodus of the people with a judgment against Egypt based on water. By the way, God's last strike against Egypt is also water. Because as the people are leaving and the Red Sea is parted, the Egyptians come after Moses and those people. And what does God do? He parts the sea and then he calls, calls for it to fall down on those Egyptians. What about Jonah? Jonah on his way away from Nineveh because he does not want to do what God is calling him to do. And he prays this prayer from the belly of that fish. I call out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. The belly of Sheol is a reference to this, this chaotic waters below the world. And you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah sees his time in that fish as God bringing him down into the deep as his judgment. Drought and famine are often linked by the prophets to God's judgment. I talked a lot about that last week. And so we see, first of all, this image of water as a symbol of judgment. Second of all, in the Old Testament, we see water as a symbol of cleansing. Cleansing of food and cleansing of people. See, all the time, as a person, you would be doing things that would be considered unclean. Think about this. In the Old Testament, if you came into contact with anything that was dead, certain bodily fluids, eaten forbidden foods, contact with lepers, you had to be washed, ceremonially washed so that you were clean. And so in the ancient days, they would have these pools around so that you could go under the water 
And normally it was a pool where you would have steps going down and steps going up. So you could walk down and be totally submerged in the water, blessed by the priest, and you would be clean. In Jesus' day, they, they emphasized especially the washing of hands before meals. My Orthodox Jewish friends still do this. In fact, this is one of the problems that the Pharisees have with Jesus, that he doesn't seem to care about washing hands. Listen to this story from Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisees were astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, Cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish. But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, do not be, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus says to them, first of all, I'm clean and I don't need to be cleaned. But second of all, when you cleanse like that, you're only cleansing the outside. And I'm here to tell you that you need cleaned on the inside. And in fact, I'm here to do that work that you could not do. He's metaphors of a dish, right? I can wash the outside of the dish, but I never wash the inside of the dish. And so is that dish really clean at that point? Jesus uses that metaphor to say no. The inside must be washed. Water is clearly a symbol of cleansing. Water is also used as a symbol of life and healing. Remember I said that water was often in pools. So it was stagnant. It wasn't moving. And what people really wanted more than anything was living water. Water that was on the move. Water that wouldn't make you sick but would give you life. Do you remember in the Old Testament, Moses guiding the people through the, the wilderness? And sometimes he, on several occasions, he strikes a rock with his staff and a spring comes up out of the rock so that they have living, fresh water. Or listen to Jesus' discussion with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm living water. I will bring you life and I will bring you healing. And if you look at the story in light of the next chapter in John, it gets very interesting. Jesus is in a place called Bethesda and he's, it's on the Sabbath. And there was in Bethesda this pool of water that the belief was that God would occasionally stir up that water. And if the first person in there, uh, when the water was stirred, if that could be you, you could be healed of your infirmities. And so all kinds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, all 
crowded around this pool, hoping that God would come and stir the water. Jesus asks a sick man there if he wants to be healed. Well, of course he does. He's at the pool that everybody waits for to be healed. That's why he's there. But the man, because of his infirmities, can't get in there quick enough to be that first one, and so he is doomed to be sick his whole life. But Jesus heals this man. Jesus acts as that healing water that that man could not get into. He brings life and he brings healing. The Bible makes a huge deal about Jesus with water in the Gospels, right? What's Jesus' first recorded miracle? Water into wine. Everybody remember the story of Jesus commanding the rain and the waters to be calm when his disciples are freaking out in the middle of a storm? Remember the story of Jesus coming walking on the water. The Bible is very clear when it makes this, when it walks Jesus into this imagery that Jesus is God because God is the one who controls the water. And Jesus in his life is baptized, modeling the cleansing that he would do for us. He's the living water. He is the healing water. Notice that Jesus does not do a lot of judgment in his life. He does say some very strong things against the Pharisees and others. But the point of Jesus' life is that he takes on judgment for us. And isn't it interesting that when his side is speared, what comes out? Water and blood. Think about Jesus' life. Jesus is... Jesus comes down in the incarnation from the heavens and he also comes up from the grave, really clearly linking him to this idea of him being water both from above and below. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is described as being poured out into our lives. In fact, in the text that we read earlier from John chapter 7, the Bible says that out of our hearts, will flow rivers of this water. That the Holy Spirit flows into us and then flows out to us into the lives of others. In fact, the water is not just an image for Jesus, it's also an image for us. How are we initiated into this church, into this thing? Well, we talk about it as baptism. To be baptized in those days was a word that meant to be inundated, to be plunged, drenched and immersed. It's used of ships that are, that are sinking. That when a ship is finally consumed, sometimes the stories would say that that ship had been baptized. It's also used of drunkenness, by the way. That you're so baptized, you're so immersed with alcohol that you're baptized, you're drunk. And so when we are baptized, we are, we are reminded that we are Christ's. We are reminded that we are plunged into the depths of the water and we come up clean and we come up healed and His death and His judgment becomes our judgment. The Holy Spirit is poured out in our lives and we are expected to pour out that living water for those who are thirsty around us. If you want a really hands-on response to this sermon, I would suggest you look up a group called Compassion International. They have a program called Water for Life where you can pay $79 that'll get a family a uh, a, a filtration system and and save lives. Samaritan's Purse also that does Operation Christmas Child that we've been a part of as of last Christmas. 
um, is very involved in getting clean drinking water for communities. Those are two places you can go to literally save lives by offering water to other people. See, we have been washed clean. We have been poured into. We must be poured out. We must take this living water to a parched world. We must let Jesus throw through our lives and be continually washed of those things that do not honor Christ. This is what it means to be full of Christ's living water. Let us pray. Lord, flood us with your love, that love may overflow from our lives into others. Shower us with your grace, that we may not rely on ourselves, but that you may wash us, heal us, and give us life. May your hope spring up within us, that whatever we face in this world would be drowned in the prospect of an eternity with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.